millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, Glenn James here and I thought I would get John Pigeon on the phone, I thought I would get Emily Wallace dialed in to have a chat about all the craziness out there in property land. Hey John, how are you? Hey Glenn, fantastic, how are you going? Mate, I'm well and Emily, how's Melbourne? Melbourne is great as always. Love it, where are you calling in from John? I am calling in from Dubbo at the moment, the home of the Dubbo Zoo. Wow, love it. So, lots of activity going on in the property market. And if you are new to My Millennial Money, welcome. If it's your first episode, uh, John and Emily actually host a podcast called My Millennial Property. So, they just know everything about property. They go narrow, they go deep, property, property, property. And of course, John co-hosts My Millennial Money when he's not in Dub Vegas. But... There's a lot going on out there. So, I've seen some crazy stuff. Both of you have seen some crazy stuff. I think, Emily, if we can just start with some initial comments of what you're seeing on the ground uh, with some of the people that you're working with because you are a buyer's advocate for people who are purchasing their first home to live in or a property to live in. Certainly. So, um I put a post up last week and saying for the first time ever in my career, I have seen people crying at auctions. Now, I think if that's a sign of the times, um, you know, it really is evident that people are feeling very overwhelmed by the property market right now. And that's not just um, privy to Melbourne, that's across the board. Um, The market is definitely heated and a lot of first home buyers, a lot of millennials that I work with are feeling like, you know, is this achievable and what price do I have to pay to get in? And that's a really tricky position for people to be in. It is disheartening. Um, and yeah, there there is an element of hype and an element of overwhelm. Yeah. And I, I've, um, I've been chatting to some other listeners. And in fact, I'll just play this audio recording of a listener who went to an auction yesterday and yeah, we'll have a listen. So, we've got Jess, who's a listener of My Millennial Money from Brisbane. Hey, Jess, how are you? Hey, good. Thanks, Glenn. How are you? Good. Now, you've recently been to an auction. Yes. So, what were you buying? Was it your first home? Was it your fifth home? Tell us a little bit about the property, what it was listed for or a range and what happened at auction. So, it was a three-bed, two-bath in Corinda, which is about 10Ks from the Brisbane CBD um, for us to live in as our first home. And all the comparable sales that we were provided were kind of high 700s. Um, Yeah. That's wild. And you went to auction? Yes. And and what pre-approval did you have up to with the bank? 
So we've got a pre-approval in place for up to 950, but we're really hoping to stay in the 800s. What happened at the auction? So it was a telephone auction. Scary. Um, Very scary, a bit foreign. We opened the bid at 700 and it essentially went up in increments of 50,000 to 950. Wow. And then the two final bidders battled it out up to 970. Wow. That's crazy. And and it was a three-bedroom townhouse, did you say, or house? Uh, house. House. Okay. Yes. So, it's a, a, and how big was the block? 400, 405 square meters. Oh, so it's not even a big chunk of earth. No. Wow. A small chunk of earth. So, realistically, the guides that you were given by agents at the time was 250 grand-ish under what it sold for. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that uh, information. And just, to, you know, for everyone to, you know, everyone's probably thinking, oh, first home buyers, they're spending almost a million dollars. I mean, you've got two good incomes, right? And you've got a deposit saved and it's not as if your eyeballs are up to debt and all that stuff, no, right? No, no, no debt. Yeah. Um, yeah, and strong income. Yeah. And how old are you and your partner? So, I'm 25 yep. and Sherry is 33. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's. I just wanted to give context because people hear, you know, crazy amounts of money and sometimes think, oh, that they shouldn't be able to do that. But, you know, you've both worked hard and you've both saved up and you both have good incomes. Yeah. Um, but the property price issue is just crazy. And now what are your plans are you totally deflated and you're like, this is too hard, who cares? Or what are you thinking as a, a home buying strategy? Are you going to keep going or sit it out for 10 minutes? Yeah. So, I think we're going to run at it for a couple more months. Yeah. Um, we are open to the idea of building, but mm. I guess at this stage, we're still kind of optimistic that we're going to be able to avoid all the admin that comes with that. But we're just going to see. Yeah. Well, you'll have to... Um, keep us in the loop with what happens. But thank you so much for sharing your auction outbid story. Hey, my pleasure. So there you go. As you can hear from that, John, um, you know, a lot of disappointing people at auctions, as Emily was saying, you know, crying and it's it's probably a bit of tears from joy from the vendor and also uh, sorrow from someone trying to buy their home to live in. Yeah, it's probably everyone's crying, aren't they? Um, except the auctioneer. But um, I think it's an interesting time where almost every major market around the country in their housing space, the the markets are growing at a rate of knots, and the and the property market is massive, massively over overheated, I suppose. Um, and I haven't seen that in the last twenty years of my investing. It's usually one or two major markets, and and the rest are. Uh, are going along okay without being outstanding. So it, it's interesting times for sure. And this whole topic of underquoting raises its head again because in a moving market, um, people are running around trying to figure out just what a property is actually worth when there's there's so many um, inconsistencies. And Emily, as you know, you being at the coalface as a buyer's advocate. You're working very close with uh, real estate agents. Is it uh, is it a bit of um, an agent being misleading, whether intentional or not, uh, with underquoting, or the agent actually 
genuinely being surprised at auction time because it is moving so fast? It's a very interesting question and I think it's hard to generalise a response to that because there's, there's just sort of two pockets of agents, I would say, the ones who are fairly quoting and the ones who are probably maybe under quoting and then the surprise of the, re- of the result is like a massive, you know, drastically over, 22% over the reserve or something like that. So um, what I would say is that there, there are some genuine shock, like I've spoken to auctioneers after auctions and they're actually like, look, we thought we would have had it at 1.1 but it went for 1.3. Um, we are honestly surprised. And then there's other times where, yeah, you can kind of sense that they knew it was going to fly. And I feel really sorry for the first home buyers who were just like, well, we just, we didn't know it was going to go beyond, so far beyond where we expected. Yeah. And I kind of want to preface like this whole lens of us talking uh, with purchasing property in markets at the moment. I really want to talk about, you know, the first home buyer or buying a home to live in because- as far as I'm concerned, if you're buying an investment property and, you know, wah, you know what I mean? Like you've already got your property or, you know what I mean? Like it's, um, I think it's particularly harder for those who are wanting to buy a home to live in. So, John, if someone was out there trying to get a home to purchase, given that the market is so hot, what are you saying to your clients if they can't um, secure the property for, for their budget? Yeah, it's a good question. I think generally speaking, if the if you've got to look at the, the long-term view of, of real estate in Australia and, and, and know that, okay, if I'm paying five or 10 grand too much now of what I thought I would be paying, um, am I, am I still going to be better off in the next 10 to 12 years? Um, generally the answer to that is yes, if the alternative is to is to hang out for twelve months, two years, three years, and and try and get back in if the market readjusts, but historically over time, if you look at most um, good solid markets, blue chip real estate around the country, you you don't find too much of a drop. You might get a three to five percent drop. Um, at best, and that's probably in the million dollar type properties. You, you don't, you rarely see it in the five hundred to a million dollar where a lot of first home buyers are are getting in now. So, my message to them is, you've just got to know what you're buying and know what to pay for it, and and have a ceiling on that. I don't think sitting out for six or twelve months is going to um, going to solve the issue, especially when interest rates you can fix a three year fixed rate at two percent at the moment. Yeah. So, Emily, some of the clients you're working with, obviously, they're going to be hamstrung by the fact that, well, it it went for $100,000 more. We don't have the borrowing capacity anyway. So, the worst case scenario is we just keep saving and renting. Yeah, that is a a reality of a worst case scenario, I guess. I would probably argue that most people couldn't save as quickly as the as the market is moving um, to be able to have those funds aside and, and then re-enter. Um, we'd have to see a significant drop for that to probably occur. Um, but they're either doing that or, to be honest, they're having to readjust their expectations of what does our ideal home actually look like and where can we compromise on our wish list? Yeah, because it's... Um you know, I'm not a property professional like both of you, but I, I'm i hopeful that, you know, the season will come out of, you know, different markets 
as the vaccine gets rolled out and if the border opens next year. Because even, you know, cars, boats, everything secondhand, everything's going up because people are not traveling and people are saying, well, I've saved $30,000 for my Europe trip. Well, I'll just buy a house instead. So, I think that's been exacerbated and I'd be hopeful that as the borders open, uh, there could be some uh, sizzle that comes out of the market. But interesting point, John, um, you look at, you're like, you're traveling around a lot of the regional centers at the moment. And I think it's fascinating that, I guess as a counterpoint to my own point, people have more flexibility. People have more flexibility working from home and they may be saying, well, we can get a better standard of living in the regional centres and still be paid good city dollars, so we may make a tree change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have um, done some videos in, in every town that we've been to or stayed in, um, and I, I should be paid by the Tourism New South Wales because there's a lot of affordable uh, places that are that are actually large regional centres where, as you said, you can fly in, fly out as you need to. You might visit a city centre once a week and, and spend the rest of your time working at home because of the flexibility of um, living in 2021. Um, I think, Emily, you're right with um, adjusting expectations. Um, the expectations are maybe going from, well, I was going to buy in at 1.2 in a capital city, but now actually, no, I don't want a million dollar mortgage. So I'm going to go and buy in Dubbo or Orange for 500,000 and, and have a really lot, really good lifestyle that doesn't um, impact my, uh, my wallet. Um, one, I was talking to a client last week who's looking at buying in Sydney at exactly that 1.2. And, and they're saying, well, we can't get anything that we want in that particular suburb um, for the type of, of property that we want either. Um, so we can actually save well, we can save our money well to keep up with the growth of the market. The issue is instead in, in 12 months time, they might have a $1.2 million mortgage instead of a million dollar mortgage. It, it's, it's their concern was actually the mortgage, not the deposit funds. Especially when interest rates traditionally are, are 5%, 6%. So they're looking at those numbers saying, well, in 10 years time, if I've still got 800, 900 K mortgage at five or five or six percent. That that's pretty scary when we're about to raise a family. Um, I would certainly echo what John's saying around. There's not so much a concern about the deposit. It's the ongoing choice of where people are buying into in this fear that interest rates will eventually, most likely, rise at some point in time. And the question is when and by how much. And so um, those who are thinking about purchasing do need to have a long-term view about what could possibly happen if you are holding that property for an extended period of time. And I think that's something that's really overlooked. I think even maybe. Um, you know, as a millennial audience, sometimes we do focus on the here and now and like what what's next, but not further enough that we're actually considering what does the impact of an interest, interest rate rise actually look like for us? Absolutely. And I would, I would just want to encourage anybody who's out there looking to buy their home to live in a couple of things. We can't be distracted by the FOMO of missing out because it needs to go back to what is affordable for me to purchase. You know, I don't want you, like, sure, you could be able to borrow an extra $100,000 to get into the market. But if it, pushes, if it pushes your personal finance over the line where you're paying 40% of your net take-home uh, net take home household income on a mortgage repayment, 
you're in mortgage stress. So, we know that, you know, responsible lending is, you know, they are easing those things. Money might be easier to get, but we need to caution you with taking the emotion out of it, still saying, look, if I can't buy, I will keep saving and I'll keep researching and I'll keep renting and hopefully we'll be able to get a place that you can call home sooner um, than later. So, it might be next year, might be in 18 months if it cools off. I would say, John, you know, I did say that where if you're wanting to buy an investment property, providing you've already got a home, uh, but to those who don't already own a property, maybe you have to go, well, for our long-term wealth, do we have to buy somewhere and be an investor and continue to rent and change into a rent vesting type strategy as opposed to I'm going to buy where I live? Yeah, I think we've spoken about this before, haven't we? The the option of rent vesting versus buying our own home to live in um, or, or even free vesting where you're sitting at home living with mum or dad and saving more money than we could ever save or imagine if we moved out. So, the issue still remains when you see a, a grow a growing market like this, when it all settles down and, and it's back to a normality, the rents start to increase. So, the, the rent vesters have to be wary of that as well. If they if they don't go and buy something, um, their running costs of their life are going to increase anyway because the, the rents are going to increase where they're living. So, they've, they've got to factor that in. But um, definitely being able to get into a market at four or 500k around the country is a lot easier than trying to, to get something in Sydney with a $1.5 million price tag. Yeah. So, if you are... Th- if you are genuinely trying to purchase a property and you do have some type of confusion and you just want a sounding board, remember John does clarity calls. They're $330 and he will get some information before the call about your goals. He might even do some research and then he'll be able to be a third party sounding board who isn't your uncle saying, you must buy, you must buy or isn't your you know jealous brother saying, oh, don't do that, don't buy. So, it's just good to get a third party in your life, particularly when it's tight. And certainly, if you are in Melbourne and you are looking to buy your first home and we're looking down the road of a buyer's advocate, maybe reach out to Emily on LinkedIn or um, Instagram, just, I don't know, Google Emily Wallace um, and maybe just have that 10-minute discussion with Emily to see how she can maybe add some value. Because if you're listening to this, we want to encourage you, but we also want to say you're not alone. So, any final thoughts? Because I've got a couple of thoughts that I want to put on the you guys. <laughs> Hit us with your thoughts. <laughs> All right. We'll have a quick break. Um, I've got a bit of a rant that I want to have with both of you because I've been stewing on, stewing on this for some time and I've been waiting to get you both cornered. So, we'll be right back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay. So, this is my rant and vibe, right? And I wanted to do a, an express podcast on this, but I'll just do it to you guys here. So, we know that 
climate change is real and we know that Australia has basically been powered by coal forever and is digging up coal forevermore. So, with climate change and burning fossil fuels, we know as a nation that we need to move off coal, okay? Sure, it can't happen tomorrow because there's industries, there's jobs, there's legitimate people listening to this podcast now in their truck digging up the delicious black rock, okay? We know that. So, it's not a matter of turning the tap off, but it's a matter of, okay, what can we do over the next 20 years? Uh, But because governments have been useless for the last 20 years, we've probably got to act a bit faster, but that's another rant. So, having that as a starting point, my own personal belief is the Australian government for at least the last 20 years has propped up the Australian property market to a point where we need to untangle it, similarly with the whole coal thing. An example is every time there's a freaking crisis, they throw money at home buyers, they throw money at building grants, they take stamp duty away, they just throw money. The, the first home buyer scheme that I could remember was like $14,000. So over a long period of time, every time there's a freaking crisis, the government announced something to do with homes and getting the building and construction industry happening. So, my parallel is the housing industry, coal, building and construction industry, the coal workers who are genuine people at the coal mine. So, we can't just turn things off. So, that's my rant. The housing market in Australia, I don't care where you are, who you are, is being propped up by state and federal governments for over 20 years and it has impacted the cost of property to the point where it's just ridiculous. So, the average punter can't get into a freaking home. It's just a joke. But what if we turn back time and they say, well, instead of just propping up the industry with billions and billions and billions and billions and billions, and I was doing my Trump, um, and you're both sitting there looking at me like I'm a psycho, but I am. What if they said, we're going to invest in bloody regional centres and building decent infrastructure and train lines and airports and start creating more places that people can live rather than just propping up what's already there. That's what I think. That's my TED Talk. That's my rant. I'm Glenn James. What do you think? Glenn James for Prime Minister. Um, (laughs) No, I I do agree with you and I think – when you look so at come at me fun- <laughs> <laughs> when you look at government funding and where the money goes you're so right that it has propped up the property market and inflated these prices and contributed massively to that my question is though if that's become normal and particularly for millennials we've grown up in that space of that just being the norm what happens if it gets taken away are we going to see a drastic drop in everything or you know, there's a large percentage of, quote, first home buyers who are actually, you know, million dollar buyers. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's a lot for a first home, but that is a reality. So, what happens if it gets taken away and redirected into, you know, a different solution? Yeah. And, and that's my thing. It can't happen overnight because, mm. you know, next crisis, you know, if there was no money to throw at building and construction, which is a huge industry, You've got to, and I'm not an economist. I don't know anything, everyone. Just remember that. I'm just ranting and happy to be wrong and I'll put out a correction next week and all that. But 
you know, what happened? Like you just can't turn it off overnight. And it's just kept going and kept going and kept going. Wages have done nothing in this country. Property prices, um, you know, commercial, residential, like it's just a joke. John, do you hate me? Yeah, that was good, Glenn. Um, I saw some something similar to to that that you put on Facebook the other day. I nearly unsubscribed to you, but um, I uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> to be honest, you're right. Look, it is being propped up, and it has been propped up for a hundred years um, because people need to live in a home, right? And the revenue that's created from housing. Uh, jobs aside, creates so much for the government. So they've got to they've got to keep it going, as as you said with coal mining. Um, now that's a different story because it's um, it's ruining the ruining the country. But as in the physical and the planet, dirt, the physical dirt yeah. and, the, and the planet. Yeah, not yeah. Australia. Yeah. But um, it, it's supply and demand, and that's basically what it comes back to. If if there were more houses being built there would be less demand for each house that is going up on the market. Um, So that's one thing to consider aside from the government propping it up is there's a fundamental undersupply of property in regions around Australia and major regions. So that's not helping property prices whatsoever. And then the second thing to consider, and this is more of a harsh angle that I'm coming from here because I've lived in three different states of Australia, country and and um, city, is we as Australians get to choose where we want to live. Now, we might not be able to afford a $2 million property in Manly or a $3 million property in Brighton, in Melbourne, um, like Emily does. Um but <laughs> no, no. Uh, can can we right. just correct that? I do not live in a $3 million uh, property <laughs> no. in Brighton at all. <laughs> yeah. Disclaimer, Emily doesn't live in a $3 million property in Brighton. However, we do get to choose where we live and we can make our key decisions around what mortgage we're comfortable with, when we want to buy our own home, when we have kids, if we want to have kids, what job we want to do. We've got that freedom in the country. So don't disagree with you, Glenn. Uh, just there's a there's a couple of um, key points that need to be added into that conversation. Well, I think as part of my rant, you might have tuned out. I part of the rant was ranting about undersupply and the government need to put more energy into infrastructure and building more areas for houses to be built. Yeah, I, I did get that. However, all of the regions that I've visited, absolutely all of them have a vacancy rate of under 2%. And I've visited 22 regions in New South Wales and Victoria and ranging from 5,000, no, 2,000 people right up to um, Wollongong, which is, I don't know, half a mil. Every area we visited has an undersupply of property, fundamentally speaking, whether you're wanting to rent in there or buy a home there, um, it's slim pickings. So the Brisbane to Melbourne Express has been on the agenda for 200 years. Now, would that help regional centres on the way from Brisbane to Melbourne? Absolutely. But they can't get off their butts to go and build it. So, yeah, what do you do? Do you throw your hands in the air? I think as individuals, we've got to look at our own situation and and roll with the punches. Because if we're waiting around for the government to change it, we're going to be waiting a while. Yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know where we're going with this, but we probably should just wrap it up with some final thoughts. And if you are listening still, well, you get what you pay for, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to My Millennial Property because it's probably a better podcast than this episode right now. Hey, uh, Emily, what are your thoughts just on this whole uh, underquoting business? It's by consumer law, it, it comes back to uh, the the agent and the market's expectations or analysis, but it also is the seller, their price instructions. So does the seller have a part to play in this in, in being too greedy? Good question. We're starting to see it. I had a chat with an agent, um, actually just yesterday, we were at a property and um, he he said to me, we're starting to feel it. We're starting to get to the point where we're presenting really great offers over expectation and the vendor wants more. So there is an element, there's two, there's two things here. There's underquoting, which is more driven from the agency. Agents are entrusted by the vendor to provide them a quote range that reflects the value of their house in the current market. So that's on the agent. And that, um, you know, when that falls short, you can report that um, to the Office of Fair Trading in your state or territory, and that can be dealt with. That's one matter. But the more prominent matter that I think is going to come across, particularly in the next four to eight weeks in the property market, are vendors who are attending, particularly in auction cities, they're attending auctions, they're seeing multiple hands being put up flying over the vendor's reserve where the property was on the market. And they're thinking, well, if there were four extra people who were prepared to pay X amount on this property, I bet I could get that for mine. And of course, vendors always think their house is the best house, but it's not always. And no two houses are exactly the same unless you're buying, you know, cookie cutter apartments. So uh, I think there will be an issue that vendors need to rein in their expectations and be reasonable. Otherwise, my prediction, and I'm happy to be quoted on this, would be that the pass-in rates will start being higher and the clearance rates will start being lower on auctions. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happened in, within the next two months. Mm. There you go. Heard it first. Hey, um, John, I'm going to read you something that I, I got emailed the other day. Go for it. This is, this is crazy and, you know, this speaks to a lot of things and I won't identify the person, I won't identify the location, the age, the gender the um, income, whatever, I'll just read you this. They wanted to be connected to a mortgage broker. I've just bought a property and let my dad bid at the auction. Okay, sounds legit. And went $170,000 over budget. I'm now struggling to get the loan and wanting to know if there's options that I haven't looked at in terms of home loan providers. I'm trying to avoid LMI, but would ideally like to borrow between 85 and 90%. So children, gather round, never go to a freaking auction without pre-approval and never send someone to an auction without a hard limit. Thank you and good night. <laughs> That's shocking. And do you know what? I'm so not surprised by that. Like I'm seeing people making decisions in auctions with their parents and it's, it's $170,000. It's crazy. It's so crazy. And sorry if it sounds like I keep cutting P-roll because we're doing this over the interwebs and sometimes it feels like they've stopped talking. So, I may have cut you off then, Emily. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> no, go. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'd finished my sentence. <laughs> oh, I just, sorry. I'm just so enraged. It's like you let someone pay, 
beat $170,000 over. Madness. And it's too late to go find a mortgage at the moment. You're and in penalty territory. That, that sort of story you see on a current affair where they blame the he- overheated uh, property market, not the actual individual. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. All right. I need lunch. So, nice knowing you. <laughs> so do I before I get hangry. <laughs> it's good, good to eyeball you too. It's been a while. Yeah, we'll have wow. to get you back on the podcast one day, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, didn't you know I joined Gen Z? Oh, did you? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, if you are new, Jen, John just did a, a property series with Azaria on Gen Z Money, our other podcast. So, yeah, he's cheating on me, everyone. We're going right, on tours. Is this awkward yet? <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> we go. Azara and I are going on tour. Oh, yeah, that's cute. <laughs> um, might might attend. <laughs> Should. All right. Are we done here? <laughs> We're done. All right. All right. Thank you, Emily Wallace, uh, buyer's advocate from Melbourne. You can Google her, uh, Emily Wallace. John Pigeon, um, property coach at Solvair Wealth. And yeah, I'm Glenn James. Thanks for putting up with us. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.